We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi And now, Mike Hickson Look with me if you would at 1 John chapter 5 John said, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We understand how important faith is in the Christian life. Paul said that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. When it's all said and done, ultimately we want to be on the side of the victorious. And so, as children of God, we can claim the victory. I want to call attention to a couple of things in our lesson text today. I want to begin by talking about the investigation of faith. The investigation of faith. And there are really a couple of thoughts as we consider this point. First, I would suggest that we ought to be willing to assess the evidence about Jesus. You know, there are a lot of people that have a lot of different ideas about the identity of Jesus. There are a lot of folks that will ask the question, and they're very sincere and genuine in asking, who is Jesus? Who was Jesus? Well, we talk about the investigation of faith, and the fact that in order for us to claim the victory, we have to have faith. Don't you think that it would only stand to reason that we sit down and sift through the evidence, examine what the Bible has to say about Jesus? When I think about what some people have to say about the Christ, I'm well aware that there are many people that would say that he was nothing more than a myth, a fable. And there are a lot of people in our world today because they haven't assessed the evidence. That's what they think. And then there are those that would say, well, I know that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, but in reality, He was not who He claimed to be. Thus, He's a fraud. And then there are those that would say, I respect Jesus, because when I read about Him, I read about a man of compassion and love. I see that He was very concerned about those who were the outcast of society. He was somewhat of a social reformer. He was a revolutionist, a great teacher. And then there are those that would, after assessing the evidence, would say, well, he's the son of God. So we talk about assessing the evidence, but what about accepting the evidence? Now, I'm well aware of the fact that we could look at what history has to say about Jesus. 
And there are a lot of historical writings that validate the fact that Jesus was certainly a real being, that he was someone highly esteemed and respected. What about the testimony of the Heavenly Father? I think about in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus, you recall, Jesus was baptized by John, his forerunner, the one who was preparing the way before him. When Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan, the Bible says that a voice came forth from heaven. That voice was God. And God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So God the Father was simply acknowledging to those who were present on that occasion that this is indeed my Son. In Matthew chapter 17, you think about Jesus. When He was on the mountaintop, in the presence of Peter, James, and John, and the Bible talks about how He was transfigured before them. Again, the Bible says, a voice came forth from heaven. And again, God the Father laid claim to Jesus as His Son. He said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And then He added this, hear Him. So, the testimony of the Heavenly Father. But what about the testimony of the human family? We can go through the Bible. We talk about sifting through the Scriptures and trying to identify the Christ. And I think it's incumbent on us to investigate. We want to develop rock-solid faith. We want to have verifiable reasons as to why we believe Jesus is who He claimed to be. Well, there are some people in the first century that laid claim to the fact that Jesus was who He claimed to be. I mentioned just a moment ago John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Christ. And John tells us, that is the Apostle John tells us, that he was a man sent from God. In other words, he had an ordained mission, a heaven-sent mission. He was to prepare the hearts and minds of people to be receptive to the Christ. And John said in John chapter 1, as recorded by the Apostle John, John said, I have seen and testified or bear witness that this is the Son of God. So here was John the Baptist, and he's just acknowledging the facts that in his mind, in his heart of hearts, he had come to believe the conclusion was Jesus is God's only Son. What about Apostle Peter? Many of us can identify with Peter. We understand how he was often quick to speak. So many times Peter would say and do things that got him in trouble. But Peter got it right on a number of occasions. In Matthew chapter 16, you remember Jesus asked the question on one occasion, what people were saying about him. He wanted to know, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some are saying you're Elijah. Others are saying you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then Jesus, in a very specific way, asked this question. He said, but whom do you say that I am? You remember what Peter said? He said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Peter here affirming that he believed Jesus was indeed God's Son. In John chapter 6, Jesus had identified himself as the bread of life, the bread that had come down from heaven. He said, look, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And the Bible tells us that many of his disciples, upon hearing this, went back and walked no more with him. So Jesus then asked the question, will you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
He said, you have the words of life eternal. And he said, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So here is Peter. And in a very honest and candid way, he's saying, based on the evidence that I have seen, Jesus is the Son of God. And I believe that. I believe Peter honestly, candidly believed Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be. In John chapter 9, we read of Jesus giving sight to a, to a man that had been born blind. And Jesus, after having healed this man or given sight to him, he asked him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of God? And this man said, he asked, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said, It is both the one you're talking to, the one that you've been around. And this man said, Lord, I believe. And the Bible says he worshipped him. And so you think about the testimony that was given over and over again in the Scriptures about Jesus being the Son of God. So it's incumbent on us to assess and to accept the testimony. Now, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, John said, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, some eight times at least, if I'm not mistaken, Jesus is identified by John the Apostle as the Christ. In this short book. So investigating the faith. What about the importance of faith? Is it important that I come to a proper understanding of who Jesus is? Well I would say this. When we talk about faith. Faith is imperative. It is absolutely essential. You remember what the Hebrew writer said? Without faith it's impossible to be well pleasing to him. Everything begins with faith. In John chapter 8, Jesus, talking to the Jews of his day, would say, except you believe that I am. In other words, unless you believe that I am deity, the Son of God. He said, you'll die in your sins. And Jesus said, if you die in your sins, then where I am, there you cannot come. So genuine, absolute faith causes us or leads us to embrace the teaching of the Lord, doesn't it? In other words, we're willing to accept what the Lord has said. Now, there are a lot of people in the world today, they'll talk about having faith in the Lord, and they'll talk about their tremendous belief in the Lord and their love for the Lord, and I'm not in any way impugning that. But you see, the acid test of our love for the Lord is our willingness to do what He says, isn't it? To simply put into practice His teaching. And so John said, whoever believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God. In other words, we're willing to become His disciple. What does it mean to be born of God, to be born again? You remember in John chapter 3, Jesus had the opportunity to talk to one of the great religious leaders of His day, a fellow by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was identified in that context as a ruler among the Jewish people. And he came to Jesus by night on one occasion, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the miracles, the signs which you're doing unless God is with him. Nicodemus simply, simply affirming that there was something very special about Jesus, wasn't it? So Jesus said, Nicodemus, I want you to understand something. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about a physical birth. So he asked the question, how can he be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again or be born? And Jesus said, I can just picture Jesus saying, Nicodemus, you just don't understand. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be born of the water and the Spirit? Well, it simply means to take the teaching of the Spirit, doesn't it? Remember what Jesus said, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He'll guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit guided the apostles into all truth. We have a record of what these men have penned. It's called the New Testament, the New Covenant. And so when it comes to becoming a child of God, becoming a disciple of Jesus, then we've got to do what Jesus said to become one of His followers, don't we? So what did Jesus say? Well, you've got to be born again. Jesus would say in that same context, Marvel not, I say to you, you must be born again. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. So the idea is we're willing to be submissive to the teaching of the Lord. Here's what Jesus said. He that believeth, and is baptized, shall be saved. In other words, those who believe in Christ, are baptized into Christ, they, they become members of the body of Christ. They enjoy salvation. So we're willing to embrace His teaching. Not only does faith lead us to, as we would say, embrace His teaching, but we are also willing to exhibit His teaching. And by that I simply mean we're willing to demonstrate in our daily lives the life of Jesus. Remember Paul in Galatians chapter 2 when he talked about Christ who loved him and gave himself for him? But in that passage of Scripture in Galatians 2.20, Paul said, Christ liveth in me. And he could say to the Corinthians, be followers, imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ. So what does it mean to imitate the Lord, to exhibit His teaching in my life? Are we not supposed to be living in such a way so that we bring honor and glory to God. Paul said that we are to be an example of the believers. In other words, we show the world what it means to be a New Testament Christian. So here's what John said. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. His commandments, He said, are not burdensome. So first, one of the ways that we demonstrate we belong to the Lord is by demonstrating genuine love for one another. Look at 1 John chapter 4 for just a moment. And note if you would verse 7. John said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Over and over again, there is an appeal to those of us who claim to be disciples of Jesus to demonstrate love for one another. In John chapter 13, Jesus, you remember? Talking to the apostles about His impending departure. That is, that He would go to the cross... Ultimately, he would be raised from the dead and ascend to heaven. But in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. He said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. 
We demonstrate our love for God by honoring His Word, yes. But one of the very specific ways that we do that is by loving one another. You think about the world in which we live and all of the hatred and division and contentions and problems that exist in the world. The church is supposed to be a haven of refuge for people. And the church ought to be composed of a family of people that really love one another. That we love one another to the extent that we are willing to be benevolent, which is another way that we exhibit our love for the Lord, isn't it? We help one another. Paul would say in Romans chapter 12 that we are to weep with those that weep. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice. There are some folks, because of tragedies and trials and problems in their lives, sometimes they lose everything financially, materially. We have the opportunity to go to sit down to encourage to render benevolence to them, to help them financially, materially, in whatever way we can. Sometimes we talk about helping folks, but we don't help them. And what the Bible says is, because we're children of God, we ought to invest in people. And one of the ways we invest in them is we help them. In Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus talked about that great and final day of judgment, one of the things that he really stressed was ministering to the needs of other people, didn't he? We talk about benevolence. John said, let us not love in word or in tongue, but he said, indeed, in truth. Well, how do we do that? In Matthew 25, Jesus said, look, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. He said, I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. He said, I was a stranger, you took me in, I was naked, you clothed me. Sick and in prison, you visited me. So we have the opportunity to help our fellow man. Paul would say, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those who are the household of faith. So those are just a couple of ways that we can exhibit our love for the Lord and His teaching. One final thing I would add very quickly, and that is that we have the awesome opportunity to share His Word with other people. Sometimes we talk about broadcasting the teaching of God. Letting people know what we believe and why we believe it. Letting people know, look, Christ came and died for you. you. Go back and you look at the early church, and one of the things that stands out above all is their immense love for the lost and their desire to reach people with the gospel of Christ. One of the greatest things that you'll ever be able to do as one of the disciples of Jesus is to share His Son with someone who is lost and dying in sin. To let them know there's a better way of life but there's a way of life that will ultimately fill that void. And many times folks in the world are looking for something. They may not necessarily know what they're looking for, but they're looking for something. And how many people in our world, they fill that void, that vacuum with this and that. They, they try to fill it with materialism and with money and with power and fame and all these things. And the bottom line is, those things just don't add up. Temporarily speaking, they might bring a sense of immediate gratification or pleasure, but long-term, not so. And you think about Paul, when Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And Paul is writing from a Roman prison. And here's Paul, and he's saying, look, I've learned in whatever state I'm in, therein to be content. So learning to exhibit the teaching of the Lord, 
There's a third thing I want you to see in our study very quickly. It has to do with the inheritance of faith. The inheritance of faith. First, I would suggest there is the walk of faith. If you really want to be encouraged, go back and read the book of Hebrews chapter 11 sometime. And look at all of the great saints of old who lived by faith. They walked by faith, didn't they? Faith enables us to see the world as we would say it with clarity. I mentioned a moment ago, there are a lot of folks in our world today, they're looking for something. And they're trying to find something to bring about satisfaction or contentment or happiness. And they're looking, as we would so often say, they're looking in all the wrong places for happiness or contentment. Hebrews chapter 11, you read about the obstacles and the difficulties and the trials and the tribulations of some of God's finest. It wasn't an easy road. But they walked by faith. As a matter of fact, I think about Enoch. The Bible says he walked with God, underscoring the close relationship that he had with God. So walking by faith enables us to see the world as it really is. John will tell us over in 1 John chapter 5 that the world lies in darkness. And the reason it lies in darkness is because the devil is the God of the age, the God of the world. And the devil blinds the minds of those who believe not. The devil is identified by John in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, as the deceiver of the whole world. So we understand, look, the world is not all it's cracked up to be. The world has a prince, doesn't it? That'd be the devil. Jesus identified him as the ruler of this age, the ruler of the world in John 12 and about verse 31. So we see it for what it is, and then we talk about all the deceptions that are out there through the world. The devil. The devil wants us to buy in to a way of life that, when it's all said and done, is not, is not going to last. I mean, you think about buying into the things of the world and the things that sometimes people think will bring them happiness and joy and satisfaction. There are millions of people that have come and gone down through the years. And they, in their heart of hearts, they thought, you know what? If I could just have more money, more material goods, I know I'd be happy. There are a lot of folks that have said, you know, if I just had this boat, this car, this house. You know what Solomon said? He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. All he's saying is, you'll never have enough. You may think that you'll get to a point where you're satisfied, but it doesn't work that way. And then how many people in our world today say, you know what, if I could just be powerful, if I could run this corporation, or if I could be at the top of the food chain, then surely I'll be happy. You know what, there have been a lot of folks down through the years, they have achieved the pinnacle, so to speak, in their profession. But they're not happy. Well, why? Because they're not a person of faith. They're not walking by faith. And then what about people that have the idea, if I could just be famous? And if, if everybody knew my name, then surely I'd be happy. You ever taken the time to go back and read the number of famous people? I'm talking about household names. People that had it all musically, athletically. They had all these talents and all these abilities, and yet internally they were miserable. They were sad. They were discontented. Why? Because they thought 
That's where satisfaction lies. That's where, to them, that's what it's all about. Not so. So, faith enables us to see the world for its deceptions. What about the doom of the world? You know what John's saying in 1 John chapter 2? He's saying, look, if you hook your wagon to the world, you need to understand something. You're buying into a system that when it's all said and done, it's not going to last. Listen to him, 1 John chapter 2. Love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, he says, not of the Father, but of the world. And the world, he said, the world is passing away, and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever. You want to be victorious? The key to victory is faith. Listen to John. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, we talk about walking by faith. What about the worth of faith? Could I ask you a question? If you're a Christian and you say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, up to this point in time in your life, would you say it's been worth it? I don't know anybody. Now, there might be somebody out there that I haven't talked to, maybe somebody I've never met, but I don't know anybody that would say, you know what, it's not worth it. Living the Christian life is just not worth it. But now, I've known folks that have lived in the world and they've gotten so caught up in doing their own thing that they've forgotten about God and they've grown older, more mature in life, and they look back with sadness. And they say, you know what, I wish I'd lived differently. I wish that I had spent my life serving God, living for God, trusting Him. Well, why? Because they realized that all of their efforts and all the things that they had been striving for in life, those things really didn't mean a lot. So is it worth it? Could I say to you, it's worth it. There's no way I can impress upon you the absolute worth of faith. This past week, I had the opportunity to conduct the funeral of one of my greatest friends, best friends. And he had been a mentor to me for many years. He'd been a mentor, a counselor, an advisor, a teacher. I learned so much from him. And so this past Monday, I stood and tried to remember him in a very positive way. And I look back over his life, and he was an exceptional individual. I got to know him when I first began full-time local work. I was just, as we would say, a little boy preacher. And he was the seasoned veteran, so to speak. And he tried to show me the ropes in a lot of different ways. One of the things that fascinated me about him was he had been a conductor for the railroad, an engineer, and he made a lot of money, and he was living large. He had a wife, two children, and he decided to sell everything and become a preacher. Began by going to school, got a bachelor's degree, and then a master's degree, and then a doctorate degree. When he died, he was working on a Ph.D., almost finished with it. He loved education. He was a college professor for 15 years. 
But he made a statement to me. He said, once I became a preacher or once I decided I wanted to preach, he said, I never wanted to do anything else again. He had the opportunity to preach and teach for a long, long time. And as I sat and talked with him two months before he died, we talked about living a life of faith. And I can tell you right now, he would say, it's worth it. He said, when it's all said and done, he said, look, he said, at some point in time, that band of angels, they're going to come get me. That chariot of angels, they're coming to get me. And he said, it's all about faith in the blood of Christ. So is it worth it? I'm here to tell you it's worth it. In Hebrews chapter 6, the Bible talks about those who through faith endured. Why? That they might inherit the promises. There's something better than this life. Now, I know that there are people in our world today that will tell you it's all about the here and now. This is what it's all about. But I'm here to tell you there's something far better. Because you see, as John said, look, this world as we know it, it's going to pass away. It doesn't really matter what kind of job you had. It doesn't matter how big your house, how nice your clothes, how fancy your car. What matters is your faith. And the key to victorious living, it's about faith. Faith in Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.